This is a HeadGum Podcast. Everybody, welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you have been meaning to read. My name is Craig. And my name's Andrew. Andrew, I have undergone a transformation. Last week I was Craig the Gray, and this week I am Craig the White. Let me give you a lesson. And like we've gotten a few emails asking us, oh hey, how do you how do you guys do a podcast? We want to do a podcast. Here's podcast one oh one. And you can pay me later for this little piece of advice. Mm-hmm. If you get a bunch of reader emails telling you that you should read some books, some like beloved books that have been around for decades and decades. Mm -hmm. The thing to do is not to like read them and then spend the whole podcast pooping all over them. Well, and like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Here's, here's where I say we didn't, we didn't, we didn't just tear them apart mercilessly the whole time. I will say that, we front loaded the podcast with a lot of negativity that I do not think is like characteristic of our show. Not always. No, normally when we dislike something, we're so like worried that we got it wrong that we, (laughs) I think we present the counter argument and then we come around to like either liking it or justifying why people could like it. And yeah, the first part of our fellowship of the rings episode was like, it's a little, it's a little negative. I think, I think some people sense my frustration. My co-host on Appointment Television, Catherine Van Aradonk, said that her favorite part of listening to that episode was listening to me like slowly fall apart into a million pieces. <laughs> well, and I got multiple uh, people reaching out to me, and and some of them anecdotally in person, saying that they thought that you balanced out the show nicely, that you were doing a good job. Or the best job you could do, kind of <laughs> defending Mr. Tolkien. And what I'll say is the the show, I'll confess that the show and the episode had kind of been built up for me over months of like, Craig's going to read these books. You're going to so read them. I kind of leaned into uh, a character of, of reacting to the book. So I'll confess that. Um but, but I mean, also, I'll tell you that like the most annoying person in any room is the person who decides that they are not going to like like the universally beloved thing. And they not only are they not going to like it, but they're going to like go on and on about how cool they are for not liking it. That's true. That's true. I, I think it's also tough when these books, and any books that kind of inspire a, a true fan culture, any, any medium, really, um, that get this kind of reverent fan treatment, mm-hmm. um, it can be hard to to hold that in your brain while also holding in your brain reasons not to like it. If it's tied up in other things you like. Yeah. Right? No, I think that any, anybody could, could admit, and we're, there's some stuff in two towers, which is our, our book this week. Um, I think anybody can admit there are real problems like structurally with fellowship. Yeah. Some of, some of those arise from it being like the first part in a trilogy. And then some of them are just like pacing issues and, 
and maybe some indulgences of Tolkien's on the side. There he gets into some songs and some Tom Bombadillos that maybe are not are not like strictly necessary from a storytelling. I'm going to start uh, using Tom Bombadillos as uh, like a word for indulgences. Paid all, dairy all. So we got some specific, some specific yeah. messages. Did you want to open up the mailbag and dig around in there for we? Yeah, for we and ruin could... another one of J.R.R. Tolkien's <laughs> beloved fantasy novels. Yes, and I want to preface it with two statements. First, I want to say what, uh, that you pointed out that Fellowship is the first of three, and as Tolkien wrote them, it's the first two chapters of six. So I think. Some of my issues with Fellowship, I was treating it as a standalone novel when it's really a setup and expositional novel. There's a lot of table setting. Yeah. yeah, That retroactively, I can say Two Towers makes good on a lot of. So there's there's that. I think that's, that's what most of my frustration stemmed from last episode. Also, our listeners are great. And I was really impressed with the defenses for these books, the the mild outrage at some of my disappointment in those books that people had because it, it really came from our listeners holding us to a really high standard, which means that we've done a good job thus far. So I appreciate that. And some of the not so mild outrage, which we're not, yeah. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on that, but that was cool. <laughs> that was kind of a neat we've gotten thing some of our Some of our first like internet class hate mail from strangers this week which has been which has That's, been just, that just means just we've great. earned it that just means we've, we've made, made it, it yeah yeah we made it you're not doing it right if you're not making anybody mad so i want to read a couple <laughs> that's true i want to read a couple Turn quick warrior when i said <laughs> Uh, I want to. That's from the Book of Wario, actually. That's lesson one from the Book of Wario. Have you heard the good news? <laughs> Have you heard the bad news? Have you heard the bad news? I want to thank uh, longtime listener Lynn for expressing her disappointment that I didn't uh, like every page of Fellowship. Um, she said that she had read the she had had the stories read to her as a child and then you know read them many times since herself. And we got this comment a lot that people look to these books in the same way and these stories and these characters in the same way that people are very familiar with Bible stories. Like it's just it becomes kind of woven into your storytelling fabric like your own personal schema for certain characters and experiences and we did not we did not kind of entertain that notion in our discussion last Mm -hmm. last week uh more specifically to the book uh listener james wrote in saying that he was in the weird position that i'm kind of in uh, even more even weirder than mine his position is is probably unique actually in that i mean not like not like unique in that he's the only one but unique in that this is not the standard perspective on these books now. Like he says, he's coming at them not as somebody who read them as kids, not as somebody who's seen the movies, but as somebody who's not really been exposed to either, except through like, you know, the pop references and that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, and he said that he, re- he really appreciated the books and, and the interplay or the tension between the kind of fun, love and Hobbit stuff, bath time, et cetera, uh, and the dread of the black riders on horseback was really showing how things had how dire things had gotten since the hobbit like the book the hobbit yeah and you kind of you get that sense of go- that sense of goofiness of of hobbitry uh kind of sets up how terrible things will get later 
And well, also, I, I tried to I tried to talk about that a little bit just because because yeah. Jillian in particular, and she and she's not here this week. It's not because we like fired her or anything. No, <laughs> just our our fellowship <laughs> just broke, and now it's, we're just back That's to the true. original too. Um, talked about how at you know the the first book in fellowship, you know, it, if fellowship is made up of two books, which it is, mm-hmm. um, is about taking the tone of the Hobbit and then making the reader realize that something much bigger is happening. And part of that, like Jillian was frustrated because not everything about like the black writer was like explained beforehand, I think was her criticism. One of the criticisms. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that that like nonspecific dread where something is clearly wrong, but you don't know what it is yet. I think that's more a more effective way to, to set that up and to make that transition than like explaining everything up front would be. Whereas the Hobbit was like, yo, there's a dragon. He took all our treasure in our home. Let's go get him. Yeah. Which is pretty it's cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Um, Victoria wrote in, who also implored us to show Tolkien some more respect. I just kind of want to share her words on the show. Uh, she said that in her 20s when she read the book, she learned more about courage in the face of overwhelming adversity and almost certain defeat than from anything else that she's ever read. Uh, and that the books altered the way that she responds to the world, and I think that there are those there are different books for everyone who do that, and it just so happens that these books are big enough that that's a lot of people. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Christine uh, wrote in also and gave Andrew props for defending Tolkien and and some of his writing decisions, which Man, I did too. Earlier. I tried, you know. So, so I want to give you props. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm the Boromir in this scenario. I think I tried to take the ring. I, I broke up the fellowship. But with your dying actions, you'd redeem yourself, kind of. Oh, sorry. I said I was Gandalf. Never mind. I'm Gandalf. I'm back. (laughs) Wait, which are you? Are you the savior of the world, or are you kind of a jerk who has a redeeming moment at the end? Uh, I might be, maybe the former. We're going to find out. We're going to find out over the course of this podcast. Uh, So we kind of we know enough about Tolkien at this point. I figure we would just dive into the show. We've we've spent some time talking about last week's episode. I think it's just time to talk about the two towers. Yeah. So previously, in Uh in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Uh, Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring are headed down minus Gandalf to... Wait, you can't say minus Gandalf because that sounds like you're naming a place... Because there's plenty of places that are like Minas or Minus. And it's like <laughs> Minas Morgul. Gandalf <laughs> fell in the mines of Moria, <laughs> trapped in mortal combat with a Balrog. So he's not around anymore. Everybody else... So that's four hobbits, a dwarf, an elf... And two men, Aragorn, uh-huh. Boromir, Legolas, Gimli, Pippin, Merry, Sam, Gamgee, and Frodo. Thor and Oakenshield. Are headed down south, and they have reached a decision point. They either have to go to Gondor, the place where Boromir is from, and I guess gear up for war there. Or well, they like, have- yeah. The implication is that they'll gi- maybe they'll give the ri- Boromir might be kind of well. Open. The pitch is like, okay, are we gonna like husband our strength and then because the, the ultimate goal and why the fellowship was set out, they were supposed to destroy the ring. So going to Gondor, like in theory, they're supposed to p- go and like refill their tanks and like rest up and then yeah, out. yeah. But I think more than one person in the fellowship thinks that if they get there it's just not going to be possible for them to leave so they either have to go to gondor or they have to go straight to mordor are we doing a choose your own adventure right now 
Well, no, the Tolkien's choosing our adventure. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm like okay. reverse engineering the the book that he's <laughs> that he's reading. I have to go to Mordor directly and destroy the ring. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Boromir attacks Frodo, tries to take the ring from him by force because he thinks that he's a, the great good guy who's going to take the ring and and use its power for good. Even though we've established that you can't do that, and yeah. Frodo's like, you know what? Thanks for helping me make my decision because I'm leaving. And he <laughs> tries to take off for Mordor. And Sam Gamgee is just, he knows Frodo just well enough to know that he's going to make a break for it. So Sam yep. and Frodo head toward Mordor. Um, Aragorn and the rest are left kind of in chaos. And so opens this book. Yes. This book. The Two Towers. By J.R.R. Tolkien. Published in 1954. The Two Towers as we discover, are the towers of Orthanc mm-hmm. and Minas Morgul. Sure. You don't have right. to put all the, like, in there. It's not Klingon. Like, you can just say the words <laughs> as they're written on the page. Minas Morgul. Yeah, there you go. Okay, great. So those Excellent. are the two towers. One of them is the wizard Sauron's tower, Orthanc. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of them is Sauron's tower. Mm, well. Well, it used to belong to Gondor, yeah, so Gondor used to have these twin cities, uh, Minas, uh, Minas, Minneapolis, and Saint Paul. <laughs> it's like Minas Ithil and uh, Minas Minas Anor. Okay, uh, so they were both strongholds of Gondor, and uh, Minas Ithil fell into the hands of Sauron, and now it's Minas Morgul, and basically it's where the Nazgul chill out. It's not Sauron's tower; that's Barad-dûr. Oh man, that's I okay. I do want to hold this up. Like, this is... I get confused a lot. There are a lot of names, and it doesn't help that everything has six names. Listen, everybody who's listening who knows what's up will know all the terms. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Great. Okay, cool. So, so, yeah, Two Towers, Minas Morgul is the is king is the king of the Nazgul's house. And, he's and by just, this point, the Nazgul's, just a refresher, are the ring wraiths, mm-hmm, the Death who, Eaters. Yeah, they are were originally were men. They all got the nine rings for mortal men doomed to die, and Sauron has has enslaved them to his will. And at this point, it seems that they can fly. And not they can fly, but they ride on... They ride like, flying beasts. Flying beasts that are, you know, most of the time it's like, oh, there's a shadow in the sky. Oh, God. I guess that was a Nazgul. Um but it, it's clear that they've become more powerful than in the first book. Well, because the Nazgul, I mean, one, you can kind of identify them because they inspire this very particular feeling of dread in everybody that they're near. True. Um, there was a spot in Fellowship, actually, for most of the second half, the Nazgul are out of the picture. They were, as we talked about last mm-hmm, week, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they were chasing Frodo, trying to get the ring. Uh, he was almost to Rivendell, and they were trying, you know, it was, it was basically a race to the finish. And um, Elrond and his elven helpers uh, made a river swell up and they just basically blasted all the Nazgul away. They like, yeah. <laughs> floated down the river and they were derobed, dehorsed. They basically had to like hoof it back to Mordor. Uh, wait, hoof it? Yeah, with their Get feet. Get it? You know. Get it? Well, okay. Because they were <laughs> they dehorsed. Had to, they had they to hoof had it? To go back to Mordor and and... Uh, resupply so they they were out of the action for a while but now uh they are on their way back in a big way (laughs) 
I don't know why you wouldn't they've, put them on flying stuff in the first place. Like that's, if you had yeah. flying stuff to put them on, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. This is kind of that I feel thing like we're, we're getting back, bogged down already. Like we have. It's okay. Um, so I'll, I'll blow through the the overall book because it's broken up into two books. So again. that was like our ten minute diversion on what the name of the book means. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, um, and. It's split into two books, and the first book is called The Treason of Isengard, and the second book is called The Journey to Mordor. And the way that this is structured is not necessarily a thing I expected, because the first book follows Frodo and the gang pretty exclusively, right? The first book being Fellowship. Yes. That's what I... Sorry, for reference, that's what I say, That's what I mean when I say first book, because mm-hmm. Hobbit is a different book. Right. Though, I mean, this this Two Towers is split up into two quote-unquote books. So oh, that's why I want oh to man. Well, just say, oh, just for two towers, say section, and okay. for, for volumes in the trilogy, say book. Oof, okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Everything has six names, even in real life. <laughs> uh, and in the first section, it's really following Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and then it does the first, like, jump cut in the, seri- in the series that I can find, that I can mm-hmm. recall, where... So the beginning of that section, they bury Boromir because he died valiantly in battle against the orcs and confesses that he scared Frodo off and he says that the orcs took Merry and Pippin and so they bury him and then it follows the three guys as they go try and track down the hobbits that got right. that got captured, right? Because at this point, it should be made clear that Sauron knows that a hobbit has the ring. Yes. But he does not know which hobbit. Like So, so pretty... Anybody who's working for him or working for people who are allied with him are just looking for short dudes <laughs> at this point. I feel like there must be a lot of children that are just like, hey, I got this cool ring for my birthday. Wait, no, orc, no. Oh, no, I'm being carried away by an Nazgul. Oh, no, crap. Why did my mom give me that ring for my birthday? Oh, no. Um, this isn't going to bind anything in the darkness. <laughs> Even. It's not even gold, even though it glitters. <laughs> um, so that it does this jump cut after uh, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn. And I think it's after they meet the Riders of Rohan. Yeah. Um, and they run for like days and days and There's days. like this whole thing where they're just running. Just straight up running down Which fields and fields and fields. Like I jogged a couple hours ago and I'm, <laughs> I'm beat. My legs are sore. Yeah, I rode on a bike for the first time in a couple of months today, and I am gonna not wake up tomorrow. I'm yeah, so like tired. if I if I'm Aragorn, those hobbits are dead. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. Gimli's like, just what? I'll just do it. I don't care. Well, his little stumpy get- dwarf legs. <laughs> so after they meet the Riders Rohan, they find out what's going on with the the orcs and etc. It does a jump cut, which I was very surprised by. Be given the fact that the book had never done such a thing. Mm-hmm. I was hoping it would do that, but it, it, I was surprised. Because well, the fellowship is slung far and wide at this point. Yes. Um, and so then we get to hang out with Merry and Pippin for a while. They escape from the orcs during the Rider of Rohan battle. Uh, these are men from Rohan who ride horses. That's why they are that's called the their, Riders of Rohan. Yeah, it's like thing. a thing. It's like a biker <laughs> gang, I guess. Um, they have horses <laughs> instead of motorcycles. <laughs> Uh, and they actually escaped because there was an orc who was trying, who thought that Pippin might be the one with the ring, 
and he kind of plays that angle up, which is pretty smart. Yeah, because in this party there are, as I recall, some orcs from uh, Isengard, which is where Saruman lives, and there are some orcs from Mordor, which is where Sauron lives. And, they, and these these yeah. two powers are nominally aligned, but as with many evil things, there's like not a whole lot of trust between the the different parties. Yeah, and we talked last episode about Saruman kind of being up for getting the ring himself, maybe, if that worked out. Yeah, like if it just happened happened to cross his path, he wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't walk by. He well, he wouldn't pick it up and then go, Hey Sauron, I got the thing you wanted. He would No, kinda... he would just be like, Hey Sauron, <laughs> bam. I'm Sauron now. <laughs> uh so and then Merry and Pippin go into Fangorn Forest. Now, I don't know why they go into Fangorn Forest, because the last time they went into a weird forest, a tree ate one of them, and they're going into a forest where the legends say that mostly no one leaves. So... I mean, I think they were pretty desperate to to just <sighs> find, to get out of everybody's way at this point. I guess so. It's been a while since I've read the book, so I don't remember what that exact transition was like, but... It's, it's mostly, whoa, we probably shouldn't go in there, but let's go. Yeah. <laughs> because... Let's go. And they meet Ents, Andrew. They meet the Ents. Hoom-hom. <laughs> Is that your tree beard impression? Yeah, I'm tree beard. Hoom-hom. So Ents are like big tree people. They're not trees, explicitly. Though some of them can become rather tree-ish. And those are called horns. Well, no, that's trees that have become Entish. Well, it's, it's a No, it line. goes both ways. Yeah, I think okay. we learned that it goes both ways. All right. Um, they are transitional. They are, yeah. Um, and the tr- <laughs> the uh, the ants are the shepherds of the trees, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. They take they've been here f- since the beginning of time. Now you wouldn't think the trees would be super hard to herd, but this is Middle <laughs> Earth we're talking about. So, uh, and what I like about the ants in general, this kind of plays up to this idea that that is resonates throughout this book. Uh, I'm going to take a break from our plot synopsis, Andrew, to talk about one of the things I wanted to talk about. The Ents? Which, well, the Ents, but in general, multiple times throughout this book, people are confronted with things that they thought were part of myth or legend. Mm-hmm. And this is much more explicit than in, in the first book, because I, I remember we talked last episode, the moment where Gandalf's like, hey, Sauron's back, and Frodo goes, oh, no, I've heard of him. And we, we all just kind of buy into this terrible thing. Thing, right, you would. I would think that something like that would feel more like evil myth legendy, and everyone's pretty on board with that definitely being what's going on. Yeah, I mean, like we all know who Donald Trump is. <laughs> did you make that joke last week? I, no, I don't think I did. <laughs> okay, it's <laughs> a good joke. Thanks. <laughs> That's you, it. you know what makes it a better joke is if you pause and <laughs> pat me on the back. Oh, no, I was just going to say that if you had used it twice, I wouldn't blame you. Well, I think, um, like, we'll talk more about, I don't know if we want to get into, like, every instance, because there are, there are two that I am thinking of, and one is the Ents, and one is later with okay. Sam. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really, it's drive. what Tolkien's trying to do is, like, driving home how far from home we are, yes. where home is the Hobbit, Yeah, basically. okay. Where, like, Fellowship... Part of that book's deal is like driving home that you, for most of the book, actually, they're kind of traipsing over the same general land. Like it's only toward the end where we even get into places that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. 
And while everything has been a little bit darker, like everything has been kind of the same world. And it's even it's Frodo even talks about it a few times, how they're kind of following in Bilbo's footsteps in a few in a few different ways. And he likes that because he looks up to Bilbo and Bilbo's great and whatever. Um, But here, yeah, we're getting we're getting off the map. We're getting into uncharted territory. And it's it's, I guess if you're like hobbits didn't have the Internet. No. So hobbit net. Yeah, like imagine, imagine, I don't know, like China or India or something to an American like fifty years ago. Like they're just going or, over there or a hundred or such something. Such a yeah. culture shock, I think, because mm-hmm. there's stuff that you'd heard about, but that you like you had you said no way to contextualize that in terms of like your regular quote unquote regular life. <laughs> well, and this plays retroactively into how everyone receives or perceives the hobbits as well yeah yeah which uh, that's one of the cool things about the ends is the ends think that the hobbits are kind of legendary mythical figures so and the hobbits think the same thing about the ends the the ends have been around since forever and treebeard is the oldest ent and he's got this thing called the long list is that what it's called andrew i think that's what it's called and it's this like sort of poem that he keeps where he has an epithet or two for every race in Middle-earth. Yes, the long list of the Ents. The long list of the Ents. And he adds the hobbits to the list, which is cool. Like, they weren't on the list because they just lived over in their holes in the Shire. Um, And it's also, like, when Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas meet the Riders of Rohan, and they're like, hey, we're looking for these hobbits. And they're like, what? Hobbits? (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean about hobbits do you mean halflings and they're like yeah i guess so like, hobbits really there's this like what are i did not know those were real even the writers of rohan don't you know they were doubting that lothlorien was real or that it was really what people say it is yeah because um, there's, there's just the air of mystery and a lot of people don't talk to a lot of other people because they have not had a great enemy to rise up against in a yeah. while, I guess. So <laughs> communications have kind of broken down. Merry yeah. and Pippin are like the best ambassadors for the hobbits that I think oh, they're you so could have goofy. sent out into Middle Earth into uh-huh. Middle Earth. There is there is even a line like during the Orc Rohan massacre that is happening mm-hmm. where right after it's over, Tolkien says that they start talking to each other as if that had not happened like you you would never have known that that had happened if you heard them chattering away as hobbits do yeah because hobbits hobbits are resilient people which comes up again and again like they're surprisingly resilient yeah and often underestimated yeah Yeah. um which is an interesting through line that i think again this book is is teaching me as i'm reading it that it is intrinsically linked to the first book and like i said earlier really making good on a bunch of things that i gave that i didn't know what they were going to become in the first book right? sure um i didn't say this earlier i think if i had read all three books and then we started recording episodes the tone of the first one would have been vastly different if that makes sense yeah sure but i mean that's not how you read stuff in real life so i think it's still yeah however angry it made people <laughs> i think it's, it's still a valid reading of the book well and i and i think a lot of the people a lot of people who took umbrage with our our treatment of fellowship have read all three right mm-hmm. so they were yeah, you know of course they, they have like the, over and over and over and over again hindsight 2020 etc um they meet the ents the ents are super cool they have an ent moot which is their like 
Ent discussion time where they summon all the Congress. Yeah, it's Ent Congress, and it takes about as long as real Congress to get anything done. Though they do get more done, I think, than Congress does. They get a little hasty. Boom. Booyah. uh, Take that, Congress. (laughs) You're slower than Ents. Uh, and the whole thing about the Ent language, too, is that it's, like, really long. Like, it would take, like, a day to say hello. Because um, you're trees. Like, you got all the time in the world. Yeah, that's kind of... At one point, Treebeard doesn't know the word for hill because it seems so short a word for a thing that's been there forever, which yeah. I think is pretty great. Because, like, words in Entish contain often, like, the stories yeah. of the things that, that they're talking about, which is, like... I think it's kind of a neat idea, you know, like so much you can lose so much like having a conversation between two people because you like you don't have the context. And Entish solves that problem by giving you all the context for everything (laughs) all the time. (laughs) And and the the Ents and this this is the part of Tolkien's like language fetish, for lack of a better word, that I appreciate. Mm -hmm. And it's something I like in other sci-fi and fantasy where... Language really reflects who the populace that uses it are. Yes. Right. And it, it says something about the people. It says something about the world. And that is a thing that exists today. I'm just not a, a good enough linguist or a linguist at all to tell you kind of what that is mm-hmm. for various languages throughout the world. Um, but I feel like that's one of the things that Tolkien is exploring here. And the Ents are a more explicit version of that than just the kind of repetition of different humans having different words for things than elves and dwarves having different words for things and that you know that is consistent but the ends are the ones where it's most explicit that this like speaks to how they view stuff yeah uh, anyway they are really upset at Saruman and he's because he's him and his orcs are wrecking all the trees and it's making those ants pretty hasty and rousing them, and they're going to go on a march about it. And ends ends are slow to rouse, but hard to stop once they're once they work themselves up. Yes. Uh, so then we jump cut away from Fangorn, which is the name of the forest, also Treebeard's name, but his name is Treebeard. Um, and uh, our three remaining dudes from the Fellowship. Um, Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn. They meet up with Gandalf. Ironically enough, yeah, they've who... tracked the they've tracked the hobbits as far as Fangorn, and I believe determine that they're still alive. Yes, because they improbably. find little tracks. They yeah. find little tracks, which then during the jump cut over, you see like I don't remember which one it is decides to do to like do that. Yeah, I mean, um, it helps. It helps to know that um, when they left Lorien, everybody in the Fellowship got these special cloaks that kind of and brooches seem- and stuff. Yeah, and they they seamlessly like blend in with their surroundings. Because and it's helpful to know that because they are used kind of a lot whenever somebody <laughs> needs to not be noticed by somebody else. Yeah, it's a really good device that like Tolkien they, cooked they, up. They got yeah, they got the super magic cloaks, and they also got like this elf like this awesome elf bread where you can eat like half a half a cake of it or whatever and walk for days and days so it's like okay like i realize that you're just solving practical problems with the with this like magic (laughs) magic yeah 
But uh, again, magical world, so can't can't knock him too hard. Well, and he doesn't tend to let those things go. I'll give Tolkien credit there. No, even when like, you have magic elf bread, you have to ration it out. Chekhov's magic elf bread. Like if you introduce elf bread in Act One, you have then to you have use to it. make you have a to sandwich out of it. In yeah, act by two, Act yeah. Three. <laughs> uh, so they meet up with Gandalf, and uh, Gandalf's like, "Hey, uh, I." I am still Gandalf, even though I died and now I wear white. Hope that's cool, everyone. Don't worry about me. I'm Jesus. It's fine. <laughs> Everybody thought Gandalf died in Moria, but it turns out that he didn't. He that, that again. This is a little a little bit of the retroactive info dumpy stuff that we got in Fellowship, but not as not as bad. Gandalf and the Balrog fight and basically like bust up the side of a mountain. Yeah, it's well. There's also like they fall forever, like yeah. in this kind of abstract way. Yeah, because as I mean, as we talked about last episode, these these two, like the Balrog and Gandalf, are both god or godlike creatures who are both basically on the same level as far as like this this universe's. They've both goes. yeah, they've both reached the level cap. And they're mm-hmm. equally matched, but their skill sets are a little different. Yeah. Um, so basically, but Gandalf... Balrogs def- have plus five to being on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and Gandalf has plus five to being integral to the story progressing. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good buff to have. <laughs> so he beats up the Balrog. And uh, then the eagles... <laughs> he keeps getting bailed out by eagles. Yeah, well, it's sort of vague why he's still alive in the first place, but we aren't yeah. going to talk about it too much because I think no. Tol- Tolkien liked to leave some things about his universe unexplained, as we'll talk a bit about more later. Yeah. Uh, so then the next big thing that happens, Gandalf is like, yo, don't worry about the hobbits. My tree friends found them. It's fine. I don't know if he's that explicit, but I think he is. He's just like, they're going to be fine. Uh, there was a meeting that happened on this hill, <laughs> and they're going to be all right. Uh, so they have to go to Theoden's house, which is what is it, Andrew? Adares. Adares. Or that's like the that's the city, the, Where the seat is. of Rohan. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm gonna move actually fast because I feel like we're we're taking a little bit longer than we wanted. So, yeah, a little bit. Um. So ride they, Shadowfax. <laughs> sorry, ride Shadowfax. Ride. So Gandalf's got this sweet horse. He's got from, an awesome horse from Adoras that's called Shadowfax, and it's like the king of all horses. And Gandalf can whistle, and it'll come across the planet and take him wherever he wants. Because Gandalf like tamed this horse. So <laughs> because the- Theoden told him that he could take any horse, and he decided <laughs> to like tame the coolest horse that they had yeah. and just <laughs> swipe it. It's Which like a Theoden bit... is not super happy about. No. Uh, and Theoden is this like worn down king who's been listening to his terrible advisor, Wormtongue. Which mm-hmm. I think if every if he actually listened to everyone when they called him Wormtongue, he might have stopped listening. But what are you going to do? He's like um, a Carl Rove type, I think. Yeah, yeah. Gandalf, <laughs> Gandalf kind of cuts that. He stops that from happening anymore. Um, and shows that Wormtongue is a, is a butt and tells him that he can flee to Saruman, his buddy, who he's been working the, for. Those are his exact words. Yep. Fly, uh, you butt. Fly, you butt. And then they ride to Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. where there's going to be a big battle. Yep. 
because uh, the orcs are coming from Isengard, which is where Saruman is, which is where he's built this kind of crazy factory for orcs uh, in the ground. Yeah. And the meanwhile, this whole area is in between Saruman's land and Sauron's land. Yep. So they're probably both going to converge, and Saruman's on the way first. So we got to save Helm's Deep. It's this last, like, place to hole up. And it's a pretty big battle that happens. That's, yeah. I don't know what... There's, like, a cool thing where, like, Legolas and Gimli are, like, counting the dudes that they kill. And then Gimli is, like, in the basement of Helm's Deep. And there's a bunch of orcs coming through. And the guy's like, you're a dwarf. You can fix this. And he's like, bit of a stereotype, but okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're right, though. <laughs> I guess, I yeah. Maybe I if you I do totally this thing. <laughs> Uh, and there's like a sweet moment where like Gimli doesn't come back from one of the fights and Legolas is like super worried about him. Legolas and Gimli's little friendship is my is is maybe my favorite part of Two Towers because as we I mean we talked about it a bit in Fellowship, elves and dwarves don't get along so great like historically. No. no. But Gimli like when when they were departing from Lorien, they all each one of them got specific gifts from Galadriel, which are, uh-huh. are going to factor into the story more heavily in a little bit. Gimli was so like was so smitten with Galadriel and so taken with her that like all he wanted was a lock of her hair that he could like that he could put in a little crystal and just like treasure it forever because he just wanted to remember her beauty so much. And Legos was like, oh hey, this guy seems all right. He can appreciate how beautiful we all are as awesome elves. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they form this unlikely friendship. That just like spans these books and makes the sections with Legolas and Gimli in them at least like the movies play them a little more comical than I think they the books do, but they do fulfill a similar role in both. Like it is is it's something to leaven the uh, the ever present dread a little bit. Yeah, it's a nice like not quite a B plot line. It's more like a C or D plot line because you can't economically. There's so much going on in these books. You can't weave a whole thread around Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. So what can you do? You can kind of have them be neither of the races that are factoring the most into this whole conflict and yet tell us that these are two races that are in constant conflict and have them be friends despite it. Yeah. Right. And I think I think the the like the orc killing contest that they get is a really economical way to like drive that friendship home because yeah. Tolkien had mentioned it. I think like toward the end of fellowship, it gets a mention. And then, you know, as they're running, it's, it's obvious that they're getting along pretty well. Yes. But I think that the, the orc killing thing introduces, uh, I mean, as, as dark as it is, I guess it's, it's, it's kind pretty of grim. <laughs> yeah. It's but pretty it's awful. Still, like it's still, it's still playful. And then they, they also talk about, like there are these glittering caves nearby that Gimli oh, thinks man. are really beautiful, and and then Legolas wants to go into Fangorn because it's such an old forest, like older than Mirkwood, where he's from. Like, and they they say, you know, we we don't have time now, but if ever we get out of this whole War of the Ring deal, like I'll go with you to the caves, <laughs> even though I don't like caves, and, and you'll, you'll come, you'll yeah. come with me to this forest, even though you you don't super like forests that much. Yeah, it's this real sweet, like, after five years, we'll all get out of college. We'll, all meet, we'll totally meet up. Listen, we'll if you're t- not we'll- married and I'm not married <laughs> in five years, then we'll go to the Glittering Caves. There's a cabin in Vermont that I would <laughs> like to put a down payment on. 
so they're adorable. And they are really adorable. They help win the Battle of Helm's Deep. What also helps win the Battle of Helm's Deep is Gandalf. So like we said, we need Gandalf to move the story along because just before the battle, he's like, peace, I'm out of here, not explaining myself, goodbye. At this point, we need Gandalf to move this podcast along. Yeah, he does. Because uh, hap- I think it's happening in Entish at this point. It's true. <laughs> and he like recruits the Ents to, to use their horns to help eat up all the orcs. Um, you don't really know that that's happening. It's just a bunch of trees that orcs disappear to, but that gets explained later. Yeah, like they, they don't save the day. Like I think the tide has turned by the time they arrive, but they definitely do help with the cleanup. Yeah. Um, the next couple things that happen, we'll just speed through them. The We learn as we ride to Isengard that the Ents showed up and destroyed everything uh, because Saruman hates forests. And ants hate Saruman. Yeah, so imagine how tree roots can like crack through sidewalks and kind of bust up pretty much anything they want. Imagine that happening with the fast forward button on, because yeah. that is what ants are like when they get mad. <laughs> it's like that. It's like the happening, but good. It's like that movie, The Happening. That M Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening. Yeah. I'm sure you've all seen it. Except instead of like trees coercing you to lay down in front of a lawnmower or whatever the trees just come up and punch you in the face it's pretty great (laughs) that would have been a better version of it would have been a way better movie Um, the twist is it's a better movie yeah (laughs) it ends with gandalf like confronting saruman at the bottom of saruman's orthanc tower and gandalf like breaks saruman's staff and yells at him a lot and then wormtongue like throws this ball out of a window and Pippin grabs it. And we later find out that this is a seeing stone. Um, I'm forgetting that like Palantir. Palantir. We'll say, thank yeah. you. Um, or Palantir. Palantiri. Excuse me. One of the Palantiri. So maybe it's a Palantir. I, I think don't there know. were seven of them originally. <sighs> Something like but that. Like so many of the magical artifacts that we've lost the, the, the craft to make like some of them some of them are saurons now some of them are just like lost yeah um and this matters because later towards the end of this section of the book um they're all camped out on their way back to rohan and then they're going to go to gondor after that yep uh pippin decides that he wants to look at this ball it's like a crystal ball he sneaks up to to sleeping gandalf and he grabs it and he looks in it and Sauron's there. It's like an eye of Sauron thing. And he says, yo, I'm a hobbit because he had no choice. Um, he, I don't think he tells them much more than that, but it's not pretty before bad. Gandalf gets there. Yeah. Not before Gandalf gets there, but it's pretty bad. And mostly everyone's going, Pippin, you idiot. That's mostly the end of that. Section. Well, because it, that though, that stone is how Saruman had been communicating with Sauron. and so It's like a cell phone, yes. Yeah, and so Sauron, one, knows that something is up at Saruman's house. And two, knows that Saruman has a hobbit and assumes that because he has a hobbit, he has the ring. Because all, all Sauron knows, and all Saruman knows, I guess, is that they're looking for a hobbit at this point. With a ring, yes. Yeah. So he tried to FaceTime Saruman, and he got Pippin instead. Mm-hmm. It's very confusing. Yeah. Did you butt dial me? Like, what are you... <laughs> I have totally butt FaceTimed people before. <laughs> have you butt time? <laughs> I've butt timed people before. <laughs> 
So end of book three of the Lord of the Rings. And we can move through book four a little faster, I think, because it's yeah, the taming of Gollum. If only Tolkien had not. <laughs> I know. I mean, if right? only Tolkien had moved faster. This, this is where he falls back into his 10 pages at a time of moving through landscapes, which I actually, it's not just that it's, I find sometimes boring. It's not, it really isn't that. It's, I find it disorienting because I don't find his language, I don't think he walks me through it in a way that is always clear, sure. especially as he's describing just, and there are big, big black mountains and here's a, there's a tower and it's clouds, it's dark. And it's, so walk me through the taming of Smeagol. Oh, so they find, Smeagol's been, Gollum's been, what's his name? It's Smeagol, it's Gollum, it's the precious. It was yeah, Smeagol all. back in the pre-ring days and Gollum was a bad nickname he got because of that weird noise he made in his throat. <laughs> he does make a weird noise. Uh, so they He's been following Sam and Frodo. And what I like about this section, I'll tell you right off the bat, is that it mostly follows Sam, which gives a nice distance to both Gollum, Frodo, and the ring. Um, Rather than just it being Frodo sad that he has to carry the ring. Because that is his, from here on, that is his predominant character (laughs) trait. Except when he kind of stands up to Faramir, who we'll talk about in just a second. Every once uh, in a while, he gets a good moment, but mostly from here on out, For- Frodo is a stone-cold bummer. And I can't, like... I feel bad because he does have a reason to be a bummer. Like, it is a burden. Yes, like, yes. capital B burden, but... Well, and to to maybe to Tolkien's credit, he knew that and decided to put this kind of over Sam's shoulder. Yeah, you were, you were in Frodo's head very, very rarely. Yeah. In yeah. in Two Towers and Return of the King. Um, so yeah. they they are like going down a cliff and then Gollum shows up and they catch him. They just straight up they catch him and the Master Ball. Yes. They they him. wore him down with their Pidgeot sure. and because he's weak to air attacks. Mm-hmm. And then they, and they tied paralyzed him, him with Thunderwave. Uh huh. And then they put him to sleep using their Snorlax. Mm-hmm. And well, then Snorlaxes they tied... don't actually put things to sleep. Right? They they sleep themselves. Did you want this to go fast? Gotta catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo. So, so, <laughs> so they try to tie him up with the Elven rope. And it hurts him a lot. It like burns him. I don't. I think that might just be Gollum not liking to be tied up. But no, he claims... I think it's it's he's he wore the ring for a long time, and so he's got a lot of like residual like evil left in him, and just elvish things hurt him. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so then they spend this whole time with him, where he decides that Frodo becomes Gollum's master because he has the ring. He asks him to lead them to Mordor. He leads them through the dead marshes, which is a really, I don't want to dwell in it, but it's just a neat way that Tolkien kind of literalizes the original conflict that Sauron was in. It's the yeah. place where that battle happened. It's basically happened. a mass grave. Yeah, it's a haunted for swamp. the end of the Second Age. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, and while they're hanging out with Gollum, they are heading south to Ithilien, where Faramir... Boromir's brother mm-hmm. and his rangers show up. Yep. 
Uh, and there's this like battle between men. Who are those dudes, Andrew? They're like Easterners that are working for Sauron or yeah, working with Sauron. They're referred to, I guess, as the Easterlings. And you wanted to get a little bit into it's just sort of casual racism where, yeah, yeah, Sauron, like he has men who are working for them. Uh, they're from the east and from the south. Uh-huh. Uh, places where Tolkien didn't actually really go in his books at all. No. Like that's where, you know, Gandalf and Saruman and uh, Radagast the Brown are all like these. They're part of this order of five wizards, and there are these two wizards, the Blue Wizards, who you never actually hear of, and it's because okay. they go off to these like lands unknown, and you just never find out what happened to them. But yeah, Easterlings also sometimes awkwardly called swarthy men. Yeah. Uh, we're just we're just men from other places that came to fight for Sauron, and they're the they're the only uh, people that I've encountered thus far who are described as men as having brown skin. Yeah, right. Like um, like anybody else, you can kind of imagine however you want, but in this case, Tolkien leaves it kind of unambiguous. And I mean, there there is a moment during this battle between Faramir's band and yep. and one of these you know, squadrons of Easterlings where there's one of the Easterlings falls at Sam's feet dead. And Sam wonders like, who is he? Where is he from? Why is he here? Did he want to be here? Yeah. What lies led him to fight this battle? Like there, there's, there's an acknowledgement that he kind of in the, we hear, we talk about a lot in America, the, like the Southern, troops in the civil war that were just act they were literally fighting to defend their home they weren't necessarily fighting to defend racism or slavery you know um and that's a tricky thing and it's i was i that struck me i'm glad that you wanted to mention it too because i highlighted it as soon as i read it um but it is it is a weird thing that one of the few mentions of another of race anything yeah because yeah. like with the orcs like you have the like the race races so like elves dwarves men hobbits yes orcs it's pretty much implied that like there aren't good orcs hanging around out there no like, there, there are a lot of races that are just innately evil because of the way that they were created and who yeah. they were created by and like maybe it's not their fault that they're evil but they are unquestionably evil Yes. Like there is at no point in any of these books or in any of Tolkien's works anywhere, some orc who decides to like break ranks and help (laughs) out the good guys. And (laughs) always just start hugging people. Like I'm Huggy the orc. I'm the good orc. Like that's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so it's weird then that in the one battle between men that happens, which is kind of shown as this odd thing, uh, that he decides to very explicitly make them a different ethnic group when that when and I find I feel like fantasy generally does a weird job with this like fantasy because it's dealing often with different species almost even though it uses the word race uh like elves dwarves you know yeah no I mean it happens in pretty much all fantasy like the, the easy way to make a race that you can hate without feeling bad about hating them is to make them an entirely separate race and usually they have to be super ugly and awful <laughs> and just like aesthetically terrible yeah they they have to be like a thing you wouldn't want your child to look like like and that's in in a and that's a weird thing to say too right mm-hmm. um 
where it, and it gets a pass when things are like explicitly spawned from hell or something like orcs, right? I suppose, yeah. Um, but it it is it's a weird thing. It's just a curiosity because I'm sh- I I bet I'm gonna go out on a limb. I bet Tolkien did not mean much by it in that regard. Probably, um, probably not. It was just probably not a thing that he was thinking about. But since I mean, these books are like the pace car for so much fantasy. Other yeah. Fantasy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm I think uh, I don't know if you ever read any of the Redwall books when you were a I kid. Probably read the first one. It's the animal books. Yeah, the the animal books, and yeah. there were about I think I'm just I'm just estimating there were about four thousand of those books. <laughs> And like they the, all basically told the same story, and the same races were always good, and the same races were always bad, and there were a couple of books where, like, maybe one of the bad, like, maybe there's, like, a ferret who is who is raised by good species but ends up being bad anyway because he's a oh. ferret. And maybe there's one where there's, like, this otter who's, whose allegiances are questionable, but then he ends up being good because he's an otter. Like, it's... I, I don't know if that all goes back to Tolkien, but it definitely, I don't know. There's, a, there's definitely like a racial element that's kind of uncomfortable. Like, like your, your race defines your characteristics in ways yeah. that are, that don't have like a lot of nuance, I guess. Well, and then that time. gets carried into a lot of the lineage of this Tolkien setup that you see in stuff like Dungeons and Dragons, where from a from a mechanic from a game mechanical standpoint all dwarves are better at x and all yeah elves and all are elves are at cool y. at bows but I, at least in D, <laughs> like you can be an orc who's just like you just like franchise out a quiz nose or something like you could be an orc who's just a, like a person who's living in the world yeah if your if your dm is hip you can do whatever you want um got one of those progressive dms <laughs> Uh, I give my elves constitution bonuses. I'm a progressive DM. Um, they can wear heavy armor. I don't care. <laughs> so wh- while they're running around, uh, Faramir shows up, right? We, this is what we're talking about. and Basically, yeah. Yeah. Like so, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I know. Gollum completely pieces for... Oh, stop it. Ew. Uh, he pieces... And Sam and Frodo hang out with Faramir for a while. And Faramir's like, hey, they have this whole, like, court-martial sequence where he is in, uh, kind of asking Frodo what the heck his deal is in front of all of his troops. Frodo navigates that okay, but then in, like, a private conference, Sam lets slip that they have the ring. Uh, Faramir's all upset because Boromir is his brother and Boromir's dead. Uh, there's one nod to Faramir maybe trying to take the ring when like Frodo's asleep, but then that doesn't happen. And I don't. Can... I don't think that that happens. I, I have actually really strong opinions about about the Boromir Faramir thing, and they're they're exasperated by what happens in the movie. Which... Yeah. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Of of the three Lord of the Rings movies, I think the Two Towers makes the the most significant departures. Like one one is a bunch of like Aragorn Arwen stuff, which I can totally forgive because these books have zero women in them. With like with, I guess all of like three exceptions, if you count like Arwen, Galadriel, um, Eowyn, who is is Eowyn Theoden's, the woman from from Rohan? Yeah, she her her moment has yet to come. Don't worry about it yet. Okay. Um. 
So trying to give Arwen like a bigger part in the movie, like I get that because otherwise you got no, you got just a big Lord of the Rings sausage fest. (laughs) The other thing, like, okay, so Boromir is a man who I think meant well, but ultimately fell to the thrall of the ring because like he, he want his intentions are noble. He wants his dad to be proud of him. He wants to like, he wants to save Gondor because he's considered a hero there. Um, his dad, their dad, Denethor, is the steward of Gondor. Uh, Gondor used to have kings, and the last one rode off to a duel with one of the Nazgul and never came back. So the stewards are nominally uh, holding Gondor until the king can return. But that has, it's been so long since the king has been gone that none of them actually really think that the king is coming back. Okay. Um so Bor- Boromir really wants to he really wants to make everybody happy like it's it's not it's not bad stuff really necessarily that makes him want to take the ring except in as far as like wanting that glory for himself could be like considered selfish. And I think that's that's what we're supposed to take away from yeah Boromir. Yeah. Uh Faramir is similarly heroic, a little quieter, like a little more, you know, a behind the scenes kind of hero, but nonetheless very important to the war effort. Uh, he's the younger of the two sons and he, he and Boromir were very, very close. Uh, but Faramir has, has, has always had trouble gaining their father's approval. Basically like Boromir is the favorite son. And there's not a lot that Faramir can do to womp to, womp. Yeah. And what, the, what Tolkien does with Boromir versus Faramir, like Boromir falls to the ring Faramir uh-huh. knows that Frodo has it, does not necessarily know where Frodo is going with it or what he intends to do with it. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of backstory about why Faramir knows what's going on. Like basically, Bor- Boromir was having these like prophetic dreams, and that's the reason he went up to Rivendell. In the the first halfling place. would have the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and Faramir at this point knows that Boromir is dead and has gleaned from Frodo and Sam that they were part of the band that set out from Rivendell and that Frodo and Boromir knew each other but did not depart as friends um and yeah Sam blurts this thing out about the ring and Faramir says basically like if this thi- if I saw this thing in the road I wouldn't I would pick not, it up yeah I wouldn't pick it up and and if he actually saw it in the road like I think the thing is evil enough that maybe he would have picked it up but it's not like that's not the point the point is the intent from the beginning. Yeah. Like Faramir recognizes that this thing is so evil that he wants nothing to do with it. And that's okay. like, and that's the core difference between them. Like Faramir is sad that his dad doesn't like him, but like he has the greater good in mind. I think like he's, he's, he's got the big picture more figured out than Boromir did. Like he's not as celebrated. He's not as like overtly heroic, but I think he's ultimately nobler. Well, that that's, that would I think that jives with being the second son. Yeah, and that's think, and that's what Tolkien does with the character. And and the movie has this whole thing where Faramir is like, "Okay, let's take the ring back to Gondor," and he's like a jerk about it until like some Nazgul comes down and they all get threatened or something. It's just like a really dumb. Interesting. I get okay. why you'd want to do that on screen to like make more visual conflict. Like some guy sitting there and being like, "Well, eh, I guess I don't want this thing that everybody wants." I will say though, there for me there was an undercurrent of Faramir's distrust for Frodo and skepticism of Frodo 
that because well, you meet you meet a couple of creatures from myth out in the middle of nowhere where you've got nothing but orcs and easterlings around like what are you gonna do you know and so and so from the perspective of the hobbits Faramir is dangerous you know like oh yeah they're certainly they certainly feel threatened by him um so it's not just you know not to just not to discredit what you're saying like it's true i i think that Faramir would really rather not have the ring or anything like that but he does feel dangerous he does seem like he could impede yeah, their journey he could and the, i think the fact that he doesn't even though it's made clear to the hobbits and to the reader that he could i think that that is what you're supposed to take away from that meeting and i think that that'll come up more in the third book where we okay. get to know a little bit more about faramir but interesting so i think that that's that's how tolkien tries to set up the difference between these two brothers who loved each other but ultimately had like these different ideas about yeah, what was yeah. best for Gondor and and that kind of thing. So the way that we get out of the Faramir story is that Gollum shows up and he is eating fish and he's eating fish out of a sacred pond, uh, like the waterfall of oh I named this place earlier. It's called Ilithian, Ithilian, Ithilian. I mean, Ithilian. Yeah. There, the, I think the little the shelter that they're in has a specific name, but we aren't going to get into it. No. Uh, and they hate Gollum because he's gross and he's Gollum. <laughs> and and uh, there's like a whole big thing where Frodo has to vouch for him and, and Faramir's like, fine, you can take him with you, but he's never allowed to come to my house. Well, and, and, then, and they learn where Gollum is trying to take them. And this is another one of those points where we don't know everything about a situation, but Faramir is like, eh, do you really want to do that? Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that cool? All right. And what we learn is... basically trying is... to get into Mordor. Like, they know they can't get in through the front door because they're just going to they're gonna get yes. the ring. That's as good as giving up the ring. And so Gollum, in theory, is taking them around the back where they can get in without being noticed. And what he's actually doing, which we find out, which I, I think the I think Tolkien does an okay job in explaining how this all comes to be, is they end up in these tunnels that are darker than dark. Like the description of this whole experience is that darkness has become darker than darkness. And it reminds me of Lovecraft in a sure. way. Yeah. Like we are in the mountains of madness. Stuff is not cool. We're I do these... think there are some very Lovecraftian yeah. tones yeah. in the way that in the way that Tolkien does a lot of the stuff that he does where he doesn't fully describe something. Yeah, I was thinking about that more in this book and kind of thinking about them as contemporaries more than I had previously. Uh, I think seems... Lovecraft preceded Tolkien by a few decades. I don't know what Maybe the, like the like crosstalk two... between yeah, America yeah. in like the 1920s and Britain in the 1940s and 50s would have been, but yeah. Um, but what he's actually leading them to is Shelob the Spider Queen. Shelob? Shelob? Shelob's fine. Shelob is just fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's this queen of evil spider things that lives in this tunnel near Mordor. And Gollum, like, went through those tunnels and started worshipping her. And I think his plan is that she's going to eat... Frodo and he's going to get the ring because she's probably not going to eat the ring. Yeah, because she doesn't care enough about the ring to take it. And there's like this interesting little short story that's not quite from anyone's point of view that explains 
where Shelob comes from and how she's been there forever. And she's kind of like the spider of Ents that just lives in these caves. Yeah, as usual, she is the, the leftover of an earlier age. There was this much bigger, much worse spider named Ungoliant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. who lived, I, I think, in the first age mostly, and she had a bunch of offspring of which Shelob is one. Sure. So Shelob is to Sauron as Sauron is to Morgoth, the the darker Dark Lord that we talked about yeah, yeah. last week. Uh, so she is tracking them down. Uh, Gollum, by this point, has kind of disappeared, and Sam has to really step up at this point. Sam is so at this point is really great and I, I feel I knew that this this scene was sort of coming because I'd I'd seen the films, but I was really impressed with how Tolkien handled it. Um he ends up taking Sting and Because he thinks Frodo's dead. He thinks Frodo's dead. Like Frodo is wrapped up in spider bonds and uh he fights off Gollum and then takes Sting and like, he cracks Gollum a good one with like a walking staff. Yeah, which they get they get those staffs from Faramir. So that's the, again like Chekhov's walking staff. Um, <laughs> and then he uses he uses Sting uh, to stab a Shelob in both like an eye and then like there's like a really cool move where he gets under her and Shelob tries to sit on him, but she sits on Sting instead. Which is the sword? She sits that, on. She sits on Sting so much harder than Sam could ever have pushed Sting up into her. Uh, yes, that's the that is like. Oh man, he takes a page to tell you that. I will yeah. tell you that much. <laughs> he takes a page to tell you that her skin is so tough that no one could stick a sword How in it. How tough is it? Uh, but she is so strong <laughs> that she could sit on it really hard and put that sword in her, uh, and then she like runs off like bleeding spider guts. Um, and Sam tries to run after Gollum. Well, no, oh, oh, excuse me. He thinks that uh, Frodo's dead, so he takes the ring, and he's going to continue. Because he task. thinks he's the he's the last one to continue the quest. Like that's yes. why they put multiple people in the fellowship in the first place is to um, make sure that the quest got did. And then a bunch. He puts he uh, hears orcs coming. He puts on the ring. And then he's in the weird ring vision world. And I think this is one, like, I think it happens with Bilbo a little bit, but I don't think Tolkien had fully realized, had, had really fully thought out what the ring was and what it did. Like, this is the first time you are, not the first time, like, I think you get a couple with Frodo too, but, like, you're so close to where the ring was made and you're so close to Sauron, like, Sam putting on, on the ring, like, in the Hobbit, it would just be like, "Oh, Sam's invisible now." And in the in this book, Sam puts on the ring, and it's just like a whole different dimension. Like he feels yeah. he fe- as I recall, he feels distinctly visible. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true, and that's the thing that Frodo talks about in in even in the last book. Like the eye can see him better than it could before. Yeah, um, and the the Nazgul could see him better. Yeah. Uh, so while that's, while he puts on the ring, the orcs come and they take Frodo, uh, and they're, they take him behind a door and then the book kind of just ends with Sam listening through a door to some orcs. And what do the orcs say? That they're gonna, oh, oh man, that, that they're gonna take him. No, the orcs, the orcs tell the story where one of their like captains or, or something got, Stung, strung up by Shelob, 
but they came across him like a few days later and he was just fine. Oh, that's like, right. He was that's fine. Right. Yes, he was yes, mean yes. and he like they left him because you don't want to cross Sheila when you like, live <laughs> next door to her. But he thought he thought Frodo was dead and he finds out that no, Frodo's not dead. He's just poisoned. That's true. They do learn that. And Sam Sam we haven't talked a lot about their like dynamic, their relationship, but Sam loves Frodo. Like not in like a romantic way, of course. No, but there's like an explicit paragraph in this book where he's like, I love him. He is my favorite person. Yeah. I can't bear to lose him. It's just a very, very deep friendship. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. There there's more of that. I think th- again, this book overall makes good on a lot of the things that fellowship sets up and fellowship doesn't have time to make good on those things because it's not trying to yeah like it is it is setting up way he knows more. he's got that stuff coming later yeah exactly um so yeah that's that's the book that's what happens in the book i think we covered most of what we wanted to talk about is Andrew. there anything else i mean i think we can edit some stuff down if we want to make this a little shorter but the only other thing I want to talk about is like a brief little tie between Tolkien and and uh, C.S. Lewis, actually. Okay. Is when they talk about Sauron and uh, his perception of Saruman and, and other players in this whole game. Uh, there's a quote, I think it's from Gandalf, that he says, uh, that we should wish to cast him down and have no one in his place is not a thought that occurs to his mind. Mm-hmm. This idea that you know Sauron's evil, and he knows that he's evil, and he also knows that anybody who's going to challenge him is going to try to be super evil. That's that's his deal. Yeah. He doesn't understand this idea that of the Council of Elrond, where people would show up. And supplant him, but like with no one. Yeah, no, that's the only reason why this ring gambit is working is because Sauron cannot even conceive that they would try to destroy the ring because he doesn't think anybody can destroy the ring. That's just just like the power that the ring has over people. And that's like, ultimately, it's why only hobbits could do this. Yeah, yeah. But um but it yeah, like me. like like he figures either people are gonna be like Saruman, they're gonna like ally them ally themselves with him like temporarily, but then try and take the ring for himself, and I think he's prepared for that. He's prepared for them to take the ring to Gondor and uh-huh. to give it to somebody like Aragorn or to Gandalf or to Boromir who's gonna who's like a leader of men and is going to start out virtuously but then ultimately be corrupted. Like he's He's prepared for the stuff that the ring naturally does to pretty much everybody who comes in yes. contact with it. And and this reminded me of of something from C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters, which is uh, we talked about it maybe briefly when we did Till We Have Faces. But there's this sure. idea that the, that whole book is set up as a series of letters between one demon and his like lesser demon nephew, who is working on on a, on a human to make them evil, mm-hmm. and the the demons in that book can't understand the human relationship to god and that it is based on love because they don't believe that that's a real thing like their whole existence is to consume things that are lesser than them which is seems analogous to what sauron's up to mm-hmm. um so this is like tolkien kind of attacking that that concept from a different angle, this idea that uh, 
when you are that evil or when you are that bad of a person, you see that in everyone around you. Like yeah. you don't, you don't, you, you just don't entertain that people are naturally good because you don't see the world that way. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just interesting. I, I've, I was reminded of that thinking, thinking through Sauron and, and that kind of nebulous evil that he is and, and what is the payoff there? Yeah. And, and really is evil as a worldview. I think. Yeah. And I, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about that this week, but I, I think we need to. Rein yeah, it we're in. probably. Yeah. I, th- I think my, my observations about dark Lords and the things that they seem to want in the world can wait <laughs> for another week. Um, but ultimately you, you, I mean, you texted me, we were, we were getting some of the, the early uh, mixed feedback for the fellowship episode. And you texted me that, that you liked this book better, which was going to help make the episode a bit more positive like is that that's ultimately the the yeah that's the verdict man i think that this book this book has more action certainly mm-hmm. right off the bat for so, the whole first half of it is action like there's yeah. not a, there's not a ton of sitting around no 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 and there's not a ton of let me describe this landscape to you in the first half either mm-hmm. um which i think is tolkien's weakness but Loves i also describing landscapes he's oh man he loves naming it all in a way that's confusing, but um, he does a good job with that. I also like. I needed to confess to you that I almost missed a show I was seeing this week because I was on the bus reading this book, and I went like ten blocks past my stop. Like <laughs> that's like a real thing that happened to me. I was really engrossed in the book in a way that I was not in Fellowship. So again, I recognize the the role that Fellowship plays in this trilogy, but the format of this show is not one that like usually accommodates personal growth week to week. (laughs) No, we have to stay pretty much the same every week for it to work. Yeah. It's really like a CBS sitcom usually. And over this trilogy, it gets to be closer to like an HBO miniseries. Uh, So I I appreciate people who are taking the patience with that and, and kind of understanding that that's happening because it certainly is. And it's, it's certainly, what is going on with these books yeah um so uh, maybe next week i'll be really mad at how it all ends i don't know i don't think you will be uh we'll find out um if you want to like weigh in on how it ends and i won't read the email until i finish the book you could write us at overduepod at gmail.com that's where some of our great comments came in this week you could also leave a note at facebook.com slash overduepod or twitter.com slash overduepod i want to thank sarah lynn alex michael victoria caleb rafa james ria tracy Brittany, katie jillian wilson Catherine, margaret joshua mersh Horea, connor rebecca t Bookfile, j deep rachel jamie terry amber sean matt and dana Woo for all uh, reaching out to us over social media this week. It was, it was a busy week for us, and it actually Not always kind of, a good week, but sometimes it's good to get like actually constructive, negative feedback. I think it's not as negative as you're making it sound. I think a lot of people were just hoping that we liked the books more. Yeah, some, some of it was negative. Yeah, but it's pretty localized. Yeah. What If people want to learn more about the show, Andrew, if they liked this episode more, where should they go? Uh, people can go to OverduePodcast.com. That's where we've got links to iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, all the places you can use to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes in particular, leave us a review. We've uh, we've, we've become accustomed to five-star reviews around these parts. <laughs> 
and we've gotten a couple of of uh, reviews that aren't those. And even though we are that we appreciate those too, uh, we we really do like them five star ones. So if you've got a lot of good stuff to say about us, you've been saving it up, you haven't said it yet, maybe head over to iTunes, leave that for us this week. Um, we've also got links to uh, our Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod. One of the ways you can uh, support us financially. And uh, we've got a link to HeadGum, which is the podcast network that we can be- that we belong to. If you want to know more about HeadGum, you can go to www.headgum.com. Find out more about their shows and the people. You should listen to shows. That Was Us. Uh, it's a really cool show where people read like letters or emails that they wrote several years ago. And have to talk about who they were at I that time. I do not even know how I would do that. It's a pretty cool show. Yeah. I like the concept a lot. Cool. Um, we've, we're running a little bit long, but we have a few show announcements to make. So, Craig, hit me with what is happening in November. Oh, November 7th and or 8th, we will be in <laughs> New York City for Book Riot Live. We've New York about- City? Woo, the Big Apple. We will... Uh, We've talked about this before because you can use the code OVERDUE to get $20 off your registration to this event, which will feature Margaret Atwood as a speaker. But we will be there as well. We were just kind of announced as moderators for a panel on lo-fi and DIY storytelling. Um, And so we're going to hang out and do that. It'll be really cool. Yeah, we're going to be moderating that panel, and it's going to be basically on um, alternative forms of storytelling. So podcasts, uh, web comics, that kind of thing, uh, more than just like the, the mass-produced book scene. So if you're in the New York area and you want to come see us uh, hang out with really smart book people you should do that uh and hopefully we'll we'll give more details as we get closer to the date but we're hoping that we can do some sort of meetup on the day that we are not speaking once that schedule gets released we will let you know yeah definitely uh andrew what else is going on do you want to talk about the the merch store real quick um just the the we recently passed the milestone on our patreon project where we were gonna we said we we're gonna start up a merch store we are still working on that uh, part of the work is designing things and part of the work is figuring out how we're going to distribute things um so that's you know it's it's still in the, it's still in the works i have no idea i still cannot give you an estimate on when that stuff is going to be up but we are uh we are working on it we're looking at a few different services we are talking about different designs uh, the people who were supporting us on Patreon as of like the beginning of September, I think, are still going to get their free item. Yeah. Uh, these are all things that we're still working out, but just just know that it's still on the list. And man, <laughs> still... busy times for Overdue, you know? It's, a, it's It's been a really good year. So thank you to everyone who's listening right now because you've been part of one of the best. It's been certainly the best podcasting year of my life. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Uh. There have only been so many, but it was pretty good. <laughs> why you got to water it down like that? Because <laughs> it seemed like a good goof. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about Return of the King next week. Uh, hope you can join us. Anything else, Andrew? Uh, yeah, we're going to do Return of the King. Um, I'm going to get our bonus episode on The Martian by Andy Weir up next week for patrons and then up the week after that for non-patrons. And then in October, we got a lot of spooky books coming for Spooktober 2. Uh, we've got a choose your own adventure coming. We've got a, a Benicula. Somebody's gonna read. Do we have, we we have some other stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it all. But no, 
Don't that's all spoil Spooktober. And then in November, at some point, we're going to hit episode 150, which means we're going to be finishing the Fifty Shades trilogy, oh which is going to be awful for everybody, especially us. I can't. <laughs> all right, everybody, hold on to your butts. And until next Monday, try to be happy. Yeah.